remind you really quickly, when you and I think of the, the scriptures like Paul is giving to us in this passage, we certainly think of the New Testament epistles. But when you see the emphasis to the scriptures given by the Apostle Paul, then he's often referring to the old, what we call the old covenant. Let me give you an example. In 2 Timothy, he told Timothy, he said, From a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make unto thee wise unto salvation. So when he's referring to that, he's not referencing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's referring to Genesis and Exodus and the, the, the books of the law and the prophets and, the, and the, the writings. That's what he's referring to. And so he's writing... In the, my, Paul is a Jew. He confessed that in his own writing. He, he, was, a, he, he was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was uh, learned in the teachings of Gamaliel, who the Scripture tells was a, a learned man and of the, of the most uh, famous of class of teachers in Israel at the time of the Apostle Paul. And so he's writing in that, that mindset of Judaism. So he uses a word here that I believe is is rooted in a principle that we see in the Word of God as it's related to the anointing. Now, if you're new to the kingdom of God, the, a word, the word anointing is not a word that you use very often. It's not a word that you really, really probably in your vocabulary unless, until you kind of got exposed to the kingdom. The word anointing actually, or anoint or anointed in Scripture, literally just simply means to paint or to rub with oil. So literally just to paint or to rub with oil. And so, Paul uses this, this particular word in a passage, and that's what we're going to look at here. As you stand, it's one verse of Scripture. It's the 21st verse of the second book of Corinthians of the first chapter here. It says, Now he which establishes us with you in Christ. So he that is establishes us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God. And I just want you to see that. It says, he, being God, has established us with you in Christ. That we have a, there's a stability in our communion with God. There's a, we're not in today and out tomorrow. Right? We're not saved today, lost tomorrow. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm established in my faith in God. And, uh, and then he said this, though. He said, God hath anointed us. And just see that. He hath anointed us. That was two... Uh, were, or two letters there that make up that very small word, us. And that th just says that God, if you read it this way, God hath anointed us. Now, often the, the Christian lingo is we talk about the man or the woman of God. We talk about the preacher, the pastor, the evangelist, the prophet. We talk about those that are called to a five-fold ministry. And we say, man, God's got an anointing on that person. They are anointed of God. But the reality is, is if you're in Christ, there's an anointing for you. God has anointed us. God has anointed. He's rubbed us. He's smeared us with that holy oil, right? Come on. And I'm telling you, um, I really believe that as Joe was mentioning earlier, your confidence can begin to be altered when you discover that you are anointed. Right? Now, I didn't say you become arrogant. I didn't say you become boastful of pride or trust in yourselves. Now, we know that we have treasure in an earthen vessel. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. But we are confident in this. We're confident that God hath anointed us. And so therefore we live our lives with a cognate awareness that we are distinct. And separated for the purposes of God. And when you have that understanding in your life, then it causes you to live life differently. 
Does that make sense? It does. Even the most mundane of tasks, even the frustrating things, even when you're dealing with something very small uh, that, be, uh, that others would look upon and as being shallow. But I'll tell you what, you can do so with this conviction. God has called me. God has anointed me for this purpose. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I bless the people today. God, as their hearts are already being prepared to receive the Word of God, God, I thank you for it today. I add my prayer in agreement. Let preaching be easy in this house. It's in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Now, without going back and re-preaching the entirety of those two services, and everybody said amen, I do want to connect this. What was Paul referring to? Well, if, now, if I'm, this is my interpretation as I've studied, my contemplations is that the anointing, perhaps that he's referring to here is drawn from the common usage of the anointing oil throughout Scripture, the Old Testament record of the holy, fragrant anointing oil that Moses was instructed uh, by God to make a compound ointment. That's what the Scripture says. It was a compound ointment. It was perfumed, and there was a fragrance to it. They were actually given the instructions during the exodus to make this compound ointment one time, not subsequent generations. It would have to be made and remade and remixed. It was to be made one time, so it was a very select in its usage. It was used to consecrate the instruments that would first be used in the worship of God through the tabernacle and later the temple. And I shared with you, those were just what would be deemed common instruments. Let's think about that for a moment. There were what's called shovels. What was a shovel for in those days? Well, it was to take the ashes off the altar. There were basins. What were the basins for? They were to take the, uh, the ashes that were taken off the altar and then to carry them outside the camp. There were bowls. There were pronged instruments that were used to rotate and turn the sacrifices as they burned on the brazen altar. Uh, there were the other main instruments, such as the laver and such as the candlestick and the table of showbread, the instruments that were inside the holy place. There was the tabernacle itself. But these were just common instruments. A matter of fact, if you look at the, um, the composite of much of the tabernacle itself, you know, it was made from animal skins. And so just common animal skins. But listen, but when the anointing oil was placed upon it, then what was common no longer could be called common and would have to be called uncommon. So what had previously been deemed as just an instrument of wood or an instrument of brass or an instrument of gold or cloth or tapestry, but when that anointing oil, that compound anointment was poured, touched, marked it, then it could no longer be used for those common purposes, that it had a distinct divine purpose to it. So in essence, here's what it was. It was consecrated and set apart for divine purposes. Now the reason why I'm saying that is, is I believe that Paul is writing with this in his mind when he's saying, you know, God has established us and God has anointed us. We are set apart for the purposes of God. Right, when God saved you, we sang a song a moment ago, He saved me. When God saved you, He didn't save you for your purposes. He saved you for His purposes. And He has consecrated you, equipped you, and He has anointed you to be able to fulfill the purpose that God has for you. 
Now, everyone's purpose in here differs, but it matters not. There's a common anointing for us all. Now, to go farther with this, now the actual classes of people that would actually ever receive the anointing oil are mentioned in Scripture. Number one, God plainly forbade it from being poured on common flesh, that the common Israelite could not receive the anointing oil. The instruments received it, and they were therefore sanctified, but the classes of people were this. And we talked in the first week about the priests, the sons of Aaron. They poured oil on their head. Matter of fact, the psalmist describes it in Psalm 133 when he said that when brethren dwelt together in unity, he said it's like the anointing oil that flowed on the head of Aaron. And it came down and it touched his shoulder. And it literally flowed down all of his body and dripped down uh, at, the, at the foot of his garment. He was anointed. The priest was. And, 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 and I noted that as a priest, he was given access to the presence of God. And he was called to teach between that which is clean and unclean. Right? And the point I was making out of that is, is that the apostle Peter said that we are a royal priesthood. That God has given you and I, by virtue of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, access to the presence of God. Whereby we were uh, foreigners and we were not welcomed into his presence. But something powerful happened when Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary bowed his head and said, it is finished. And the last sacrifice under the Mosaic Covenant was finally and fully accepted. And now the veil was torn, come on now, to allow us to have access into God's presence. And you can live your life serving God about your tabernacle, anointed with the presence of God upon you. And I don't need to go back and preach that, but that's a good word right there. Secondly then, the second week I shared with you, that, uh, that the, the Bible doesn't give a lot of record of this, but there were some that were anointed as prophets. Some were in an office, a prophetic office, and such as Elisha was anointed by Elijah to be prophet in his stead. So one prophet or one priest would take the anointing oil and consecrate one to be a prophet. But the point that I was drawing your attention to was that Moses had prayed a prayer all the way back during the days of the Exodus, during the wilderness journeys in the book of Numbers, when the Spirit of God was taken, not necessarily removed from Moses, but divided from Moses to 70 men that could help him accomplish the purpose of leading God's people. And when that happened, the Bible says they prophesied. When the anointing of the Spirit of God was taken and divided that was upon Moses and touched those 70 men, then they instantly began to prophesy. And then there was one... The Bible says a young man that was a servant of Moses, and when he heard these others prophesy, he ran to Moses, and he said, Moses, forbid them. Stop them from all prophesying. And Moses said, wait a minute. He said, are you saying this for my sake? He said, would to God that all God's children were prophets. Would to God that God would put the Spirit of God upon all of his kids. Come on. And did you know that was the fulfillment of Pentecost? The Bible says in the book of Acts, the second chapter, when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he quotes from Joel, the prophet, written several hundred years earlier, a prophetic declaration that in the last days God would pour out His Spirit, where? Upon all flesh. Upon all flesh. And he said this, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Young men shall see visions and old men shall dream dreams. Upon your handmaidens, upon my servants, God said in those days I will pour out of my Spirit and they too shall prophesy. And so now it doesn't matter whether you have a seminary degree, whether or not you have a title as a pastor, whether or not you are asked to be on a pastoral staff. I'm telling you, if your heart is receptive to the Spirit of God, then you can be a conduit that the Spirit of God can flow through and you can prophesy under the anointing of God. And you can speak life-giving words. 
declaring the wisdom and the nature and the grace of God. You can change and alter, I believe, the course of your family by having a prophetic unction in your life. I told my son Austin recently in a conversation that I had with him as he is searching for a church home up there in Alaska. And, and I'll just go ahead and mention this. And they found a little church that they enjoyed going to. But it was not a spirit-filled fellowship, though they enjoyed the fellowship. And I, I don't want to deter him from attending a church uh, that he's enjoying attending. But I said this to him. I said, don't settle. I said, don't settle. I said, because you're alive today, because you are in a hospital with wires all around you, and a prophetic word was spoken over your life in faith, and now you become the man that God's called you to be because of the power of a prophetic word. I don't know about you today. I'm just glad that I can speak a prophetic word, and I can trust that God will hear that word, and it will alter the course of my family. Would to God, I can say that today with Moses, would to God that all God's children would prophesy and trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, I could preach that again today. I'm preaching myself happy in here this morning. Number three, though, perhaps the most not necessarily common usage of the uncommon anointing oil was the consecration of the king. Mm-hmm. How many of you know the king of Israel would be anointed he was anointed to sit on a throne, the throne of Israel. A coronation would take place. Anointing oil would be poured upon his head. It was a consecration and it was a dedication to God. It was a dedication to his purposes. And it was a dedication to his kingdom, to the kingdom of God. Now some of you may say, now pastor, now wait just a minute here. Now, you've just got through telling me that I, in essence, because of this covenant that we're a part of today, a new covenant that's based upon better promises, it's based upon better promises because it was based upon a better sacrifice, right? Because of that covenant, you said, now, pastor, you just told me I could be a priest. Yeah, I can believe that. Not a priest like in the days of the Aaronic priesthood, but I have access to God's presence. You said, but then you've convinced me, Pastor, that I not only am a priest, but I'm a prophet or a prophetess. Now, you've got to make this gender neutral, and I don't really like that term. Y'all know that. I still like the male and the female bathroom. Come on, somebody. However, there are some things that it doesn't matter whether you're male or female, right, and concerning his gifts and his callings. Come on. So now I'm preaching it from a masculine standpoint, uh, uh, the manly application of it in Scripture. But to all the ladies, you've got to just, you got to process that in. I'll just say it this way. Sherry is the queen of our household. We'll leave it there. You say, now, Pastor, you've convinced me that, that I can be a priest, and now you've convinced me that I can have a prophet uh, or a prophetess anointing in my life. But what about a king? I don't know about that because Jesus is my king, right? And you say, you just sang, crown him king, Right? And he is. Matter of fact, when he died, they called him the king of the Jews. The Bible calls him the king of righteousness. And do you know what he is? He's the king of kings. Right? Now, Revelation said this, though. Look at this verse with me here in Revelation 1, 5, and 6. Revelation 1, 5, and 6 says that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness and he's the firstborn from the dead. He loved us and he washed us from our sins in his own blood. My goodness, right there. And look what he made us. Come on. He made us just to be beggars. He made us to be stragglers. He made us to be at the end of the line. 
That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that God made us kings and priests to His God and His Father. And to Him, therefore, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter said, notice this. I already quoted it, but did you not catch it? Your emphasis was on priesthood, but he called it a royal priesthood. Not just a priesthood, but a divine kingly priesthood. Now look at Ephesians 2, the 6th verse with me for just a moment. Let's read this. God has raised us up together, and he's made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If Christ is throned in God's eternal kingdom, and you and I have been raised up spiritually to sit together with him, then we sit together in essence in the context of a throne. Let's go farther. Revelation 3 and 21. I don't know if I I did give that one. It says, to him who overcomes. How do we overcome? By faith. Did y'all catch that? How do you overcome? How do I overcome this world? How do I overcome the devil? How do I overcome the flesh? I overcome by faith. By faith, God said, therefore, I will grant you. If you overcome, you'll sit with me on my throne, Jesus said. Even as I overcame and I'm set down with my Father on his throne. And listen to this. Romans 5 and 7 says that if you've received the abundance of grace. If you've received the abundance of grace. That's not the scripture verse. Let's, let me retract real quick. I know it. But I may have put it down wrong. It's the 17th verse. If you've received the abundance of grace, listen to this. If by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they that which receive an abundance of grace. I don't know about you, I received an abundance of grace. I tell you, I received an abundance of his kindness and his favor. And so therefore, as a result of having received this abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, it says, I will reign in life. I will reign. What's that word? See that word reign? You will reign in life. And so I want, I want you to hear this today. It is not far-fetched. It's not heresy. It's not false doctrine. Rather, it's a biblical truth that God has anointed you to reign in life, to be who God's called you to be. In essence, to be the king over the kingdom God's placed you. All right, I'm just going to, it'll change your perspective. Your perspective about who you are and, and God's purpose for your life. Let's go just a little bit farther. Uh, the reality is a king must have a kingdom. If you're going to be a king, if you're going to be one as a, rule, uh, a ruling class, you have to have a kingdom. What is a kingdom in my life? Where is the kingdom in your life? You know what it is? It's the place of your dominion. Oh, Jesus. Listen, it's the place God's placed you amidst your family, and God said, wherever I place you, that becomes the place of your dominion. Adam was placed in a garden called Eden and was given dominion over it. That, in essence, was his kingdom. Israel was a small nation by number, had a small land mass, but do you know what? They still were a kingdom, and they had a king. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter about how much money you got in your bank account. Doesn't matter how big your house is. I'm not talking about living in an earthly palace. I'm talking about wherever God's placed you, you living there with the awareness that you've been anointed by God to serve the Lord both as a priest, as a prophet, and also you're going to live your life with your head held high and your shoulders squared back, trusting in the Lord that called you a sage and made you a priest and a king to his God and his Father. And so therefore it doesn't matter. 
You can live in a small RV. Let me give you an example of this. There might be someone that we may say, man, they live like a king. And we may think of Hollywood personalities or politicians or extremely wealthy businessmen or women, and they may have multiple houses and, and multiple mansions and complex and drive, uh, you know, luxury cars and fly in their own jets. But let me tell you, if they're still a servant to sin, they're but a pauper, right? And they're bound and chained to iniquity. And I'll tell you what, they have no hope and they have no life. And you might be living in that little RV somewhere. But if you got an awareness that he saved you and he washed you and he called you and he set you apart, then when you walk through the doors of your home, you say, my God, this is my castle. Glory to God. And I'm going to take my authority and my dominion over it. Glory to God. You know what? There's a, did you know there's a kingdom? Listen to this. There is a kingdom of Tavalero. Now, when I think it, it sounds like Tavalero. Sounds like it should be outside of Valero up on the mountain, but... It's a small, listen, island that's adjacent to another small island that's off of the, south, uh, the, the southwestern coast of Italy. And so it's, 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 it's off the northeast coast of the island of Sardina. And in the 1800s, they declared independence. And I'm going to try to pronounce the name of, of the ruling uh, monarch family, Bertolini, Okay. That was the ruling monarchy, and it's been successive since the 1800s. Even to this day, the ruling class, the family, is Tonino Bertolino. Now, with this, just understand this. You know how big the island is? 1.9 miles total land mass. 1.9 miles. And you know how many people live there today? 57 people. And do you know that the ruling monarch is the owner and operator of the lone restaurant on the island called Da Tonino. But let me tell you, he may be the head cook, chef, bottle washer. He may be the waiter. He may take your money from you at the table. But he can hold his head up high and say he's the king over his own kingdom. And I'm telling you, so can you. So can you if you have the perception and the revelation of what Jesus has done for you. I believe that wherever God has given you to dwell and the are the boundaries of your habitation is the beginning boundaries of your kingdom. I believe if you're married, for you and your spouse, it's your home. It's your family. Come on, it's your children. Let me just throw this word out there today for just a moment. I've observed this as a pastor. This is towards parents, and I'm going to help you here if you'll listen very, 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 very closely for just a moment. I've observed many in our generation that many times there are parents that are being dictated to by an unruly child. And that unruly child becomes an unruly teenager. It then becomes an oppressive uh, adult uh, to that parent who still abuses and takes from the parent. Let me tell you where the fault lies. The fault lies with that parent who doesn't live their life with the awareness that God's called them to be the king of that castle. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And so with this, let me say this. There's a perception that you need to know about who you are and what you were created to do. God created you to lead your family. 
and to raise your children with the perception that they are biblical princes and princesses and one day they're going to have dominion in their own kingdom, but not in your house. I used to tell my children when they would say, well, you know, Dad, it's in, it's in our house. I'd say, it's not our house. It's my house, and I let you live here. Right now, I know, I understand that there's a loving connection to all that, but there was a perception that I wanted to keep consistent from the day that they were small until they outgrew me in size, stature, and resources because they're going to be the king over their own castle one day. But I'm telling you what, y'all have seen my boys, they're big and tall and strong. But when they walk through the doors of mine and Sherry's house, well, I'm just going, y'all, y'all take it for what it's worth. I can help you have a more blessed life. If you, you got to start somewhere. Some of you are still being abused by those children. Man, you need to draw the line just a little bit. And in love, say, you know what, enough is enough. Let's go farther. As an anointed king, there's something you got to reign over. You've got to reign over sin. Now that's when, up until that time, everybody was going, man, pastor's talking about being a king, and I'm sure I'm going to get a new car out of this, or something, or or a new job. No, I'm talking about reigning over sin. Because when you begin to study out the term reign in Scripture, R-E-I-G-N, let me tell you what the, the usual application is, it involves sin. And sin, listen, sin is either reigning over you, or you're reigning over it, one of the two. Right, but here's the promise of the book of uh, Romans chapter number 5. The promise is, is that sin should not reign over us. That here's what he said in Romans, excuse me, Romans 6 and 14. It says, sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under the law, you're under grace. And by being under grace, we've learned on Wednesday nights, you are empowered to live a pleasing life to God. And the things that you used to be in bondage to, the things that brought you into subjection to your fleshly appetites, you're no longer in subjection to those any longer. They have no right in you. We have men and women that are struggling with addictions and learning to overcome. Let me tell you today, you get this written in your heart and it will deliver you from the bondage of addiction. You are not subjected to those sins and that sin nature and those fleshly uh, appetites any longer, but they must be subjective to you because you're the king in your castle and God expects you to reign over sin. That's a good word right there. Did you know David ruled over men? He ruled over other kingdoms. But the failure that we note about David was the day he walked up on the top of his house and he saw the lovely Bathsheba bathing and he didn't reign over sin in his own body. And he subsequently suffered and thus did the rest of his kingdom. So I encourage you today, reign over sin in your life in Jesus' name. Note this real quickly today. Kings went out to battle. When the Philistines heard David was anointed king, here's what happened. The Bible says they went up against him. And so when David heard of it, you know what he did? I'll tell you what, he went out against them. Let me tell you, I'm gonna, I want to try to teach you a little secret here today. You've you got to grow beyond you got to grow beyond being dependent upon someone else to fight your battles for you, right? David was fresh with the anointing oil on his life when the enemy came in. And you know what? David didn't just send his troops out there. David just didn't send the armies out there. You know what David did? David led them out to battle. Let me tell you, you've been anointed as a king, and so therefore God has put an anointing, a warring anointing upon your life. How many of you believe that today? The Bible says that the psalmist David prayed this prayer, and we should pray it today. He said, Lord, teach my hands to war. Let me remind you of one of the truths of Scripture. Paul said in Ephesians, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. 
but we are wrestling with principalities and powers, unruly rulers of darkness that are, they'll try to penetrate into your family. They'll come to steal, kill, and to destroy. And if you sit back quiet, and if you sit back with a muted tongue, waiting on somebody on the prayer chain to pray for you and your household till your deliverance come, then you may sit there until the enemy has stolen everything out of your house. But I came along to tell you today, if you know who you are in Christ, and you're anointed of the Spirit of God, and you will wet your sword, the sword of the Spirit, and draw it out to battle, and learn to speak it boldly and authoritatively, let me tell you, you can drive the devil right out of your home in Jesus' name. But you got to run and hasten to the battle. You can't sit back and wait for somebody else to do it for you. There is a proactive faith that God expects you to possess. The enemy could care not. He could care not. If you give him opportunity, he's coming in. But if you exercise authority and dominion over him, let me tell you, the Bible says when the enemy comes in one way, he'll flee before you seven ways. And so I believe with all my heart, the scripture says, Paul writing in the 15th chapter of Romans, he said, God shall bruise Satan under our feet shortly. Today, I, I, you know, I don't preach a lot about the devil because I don't want to glorify the devil. There's a lot of people that thinks the devil is stronger than they are. Let me tell you what the devil is. He is a king that was cast out of his kingdom. Uh, and the Bible says that we can tread on him on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm us. You can walk through your home with the quiet confidence that it doesn't matter. A principality, a power, a devil, a demon matters not. When you stand with your shoulders squared and you speak the authoritative word of God as a child of God that knows who they are in Christ Jesus, he's got to flee before you because you've got the anointing of the king on you. He can't tell you from Jesus. I know you said, Pastor, I can't receive that. I'm telling you, when you're anointed like Jesus, and you smell like Jesus, and you talk like Jesus, and you prophesy like Jesus, and you serve in the house of God like Jesus, and when you speak the authority of God's Word, then the devil's got to flee. Because he's just, oh my God, right there. That's good right there, church family. I don't know if you'll get that at the Baptist church, but you're getting that at First Assembly this morning, and that's a good word for you and your household today. I don't know how much, I, I, I've got a lot to go and a short time to get there. <laughs> Let's go a little farther today. You know what a king's got to have? You've got to have this. You must have it. Solomon possessed it. Solomon longed for it. And when the time of Solomon's coronation took place, and David is now deceased, and Solomon has the rule of the kingdom in front of him, and he's seen the wealth that David has built up to prepare for the building of the house of God. And he knows that God can cause wealth and riches of an abundance of riches to come upon him. He prays a holy prayer outside the tabernacle one night. And the petition that he longs for, the thing that he petitions God for, rather, is that he doesn't ask for gold. He doesn't ask for silver. He doesn't ask for chariots and horsemen and a greater army. He asks for wisdom. He asks for wisdom. You and I need the wisdom of God. You can't rule over the dominion of your kingdom making all those foolish decisions that you used to make. You've got to get God's wisdom in your life. Man, that's good right there. I want, I want to turn to this. As a matter of fact, and if I have to cut this message in half, I will. I didn't know how long I would preach today. I just knew it was good, and I just got on that vein, and I just thought I'd stay with it. But I want, to, I want to read this with y'all today if we can. Let's go. It'll take but a couple of minutes. 
to read it, but let's go to Proverbs chapter 8 for just a minute. I think they're going to put it, Miss Andrew's going to put it on the screen, and we're going to kind of journey there together. But I just want you to see of what it promises for just a moment. I might can finish if I hurry. Come on now. Let's look at this, Proverbs 8. Let's just read it together. I don't have to preach it. I just want you to read it with me. The, the entire context is wisdom. The entire context is, is, is in all you're getting, get understanding. Here, and we'll just begin at the 10th verse where it said, Receive my instruction and not silver. If it was really in front of you today and it was a choice that God gave you of gold and silver and a lifestyle of, of lavish uh, resources or the simple uh, gift of, of wisdom and knowledge, I'm telling you, many of us would still find ourselves desiring the carnal things. Solomon said, choose wisdom over gold and silver because it's better than rubies and all the things that be the desired are not to be compared to it. Think, would y'all think that with me? You say, Pastor, I'm with you. I'm a king. Well, listen, you, if you're going to be a king, if you're going to be a queen, if you're going to be a, a monarch in the kingdom of God, and I've already showed you it's a biblical principle, God hath anointed us, then you've got to have the wisdom of God. You've got to have it. Look at it. Let's desire it today. It's better than rubies. Nothing can compare to it. It says, I wisdom dwell with prudence. I thought Joe and Ann did. I wisdom dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. But he said, counsel is minds and sound wisdom. I am understanding and I have strength. Look at this. By me, there it is. You see it right there. I'm not making this up. It's in the word of God. By me, kings do what? They reign. If you're going to exercise both the anointing and the authority and the dominion that God's given you in your kingdom, your realm of authority, wherever God's placed you, your job, your occupation, whoever you are, wherever it is, we're all different, then you need the wisdom of God. You cannot reign without it, it plainly says. You must have it here, the scripture tells us. What verse is that? The 15th verse. The 16th verse. By me, princes rule and nobles and the judges of the earth. He said, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early are going to find me. If you seek for wisdom, you'll find it. Come on, are y'all with me right there? I won't keep you much, I won't keep you longer. But, but I want you to see this. Perhaps that God wanted me to arrive at this stopping point on this sermon today, right here at Wisdom, because that might be what many of you are needing in your life. More than a touch from God, more than a financial breakthrough, more than just a new job. Maybe you're saying today, and there's an awareness that, you know what, I've been living my life without the wisdom of God, and I need the supernatural wisdom of God. Let's read, because we're going to close on this one today. I'm going to just choose to draw the line and not take it farther. I'll finish it next week. My fruit is better than gold, 19th verse. It's better than fine gold, and it promises a revenue than choice silver. He said, I lead in the way of righteousness and in the midst of the path of judgment, that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures. I'm telling you, if you've got wisdom, God will promise to take care of you. You'll know that he does. You'll trust in him. He'll make a way. The Lord possessed me. I love this. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. He said, I was set up from everlasting. The wisdom God gives you is eternal. Matter of fact, let me tell you what James said about wisdom. He said the wisdom of this world, and I'll tell you what, there's two types of wisdom. 
There's the wisdom of this world. The Bible says it's earthly, it's sensual, and it's devilish. Right? And it can come from many different sources. That's why Psalm number 1 says this, We don't walk in the way of the wicked or sit in the seat of the scornful. Our delight is in the law of the Lord. We don't want the counsel of this world. Right? We want God's wisdom. Is that right? The wisdom of this world is earthly, it's sensual, it appeals to your flesh, and it's devilish. But the wisdom that is from above is first peaceable. Does it speak peace to your heart? That's the key, isn't it? Anytime you've ever sought to make a decision, you say, Pastor, I just need wisdom. Start with peace. If God doesn't give you peace, then he's not in it. I'll just share it. I feel like sharing it. This is my kingdom for today. And that's saying this is the place where God's given me the opportunity to exercise the anointing that's on my life. And I can help you. When you're praying about a decision, if God doesn't give you peace, it doesn't matter how good it seems. Doesn't matter how right it seems. If there's no peace in your heart, then it's not of God. The wisdom that is from above is first peaceable, and it's easily to be received. It's not filled with hypocrisy. It's filled with a godly fruit. And you learn to exercise it, and you learn to listen to it, and you learn to know that when this is the voice of God. We're closing. Aaron, come up on the platform. That'll help people that's getting nervous here today. Thinking I'm going to try to finish. Let's go. We're going to close. I won't go into, you know what, that was the fourth point, and there were ten. So if that tells you, I literally am cutting this more than in half real quickly today. So I want you to see this with me. I, 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 I often don't choose to read this much Scripture at one passage. But, but as, I, as, I, as I got to that 15th verse, and I knew that that was the, that was the tipping point right there, for those of us that understand that by that we're a king and we're anointed to reign in our life and what God's called us to do and who God's called us to be, then you've got to have wisdom. He said, I was set up from everlasting from the beginning before the earth ever was. Look at that. Before the earth ever was. I don't care what side of creationism you're from, whether you are a young earth creationist like me or a a gap creationist or an old earth or an age long. That matters not. Before there was ever... Uh, an atom formed before there was ever a universe or a galaxy or before there was a star before there was a sun before there was this planet right here wisdom dwelt in the heart of God wisdom dwelt in the heart of God he said when there were no depths I was brought forth when there were no fountains abounding with water before the mountains were settled before the hills where I was brought forth, he said, while as yet God had not even made the earth, nor the field, or the highest part of the dust of the world before, the highest mountain was formed. He said, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. That's what you need. You need and this is available to us as kings in God's kingdom. I was there when he set a compass upon the face of the depth. When he established the clouds above, and when he strengthened the mountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, he said, when, then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. So listen to this as we close today. Now therefore... Hearken unto me, O you children, for blessed are they 
that keep my ways. Man, that's good right there, isn't it? Now, now listen, listen. It's good if you understand it in its proper application. I understand. I'm about to keep those. I understand that in one sense, we're servants. I understand that. Paul uses that analogy. We're a servant of righteousness. I understand that. I understand that we're sons and daughters of God, right? Heirs of Abraham, sons of Abraham, daughters of Abraham by faith. But I've shown you in the Word of God where the authors of Scripture have used the analogy of a king and a kingdom to describe where God has seated you in heavenly places and also with an expectation of how he expects you to live and function in the earth. You should handle yourself differently. Let me give you an example. I'll give you an example real quickly. And you can throw a stone at me, talk politics with me if you want to later. But you remember years ago when President Obama was the president and he met the king of Saudi Arabia for the first time. He bowed down before him as if he was inferior to the king of Saudi, as if the United States of America was inferior to Saudi Arabia. And he suffered a lot of reproach, and I think rightfully so, from a lot of Americans. Because the last I looked, I'll still take red, white, and blue over that crescent moon that flies over Saudi any day. And let me tell you, the reason why I'm saying that is, is you've got to have a perception of who you are in Christ Jesus. You've got to handle yourself that way. You've got to learn to live your life with the awareness. Let me go back to my analogy of the RV. If you're living in an RV, the only reason I'm saying that, that's a mobile facility that's probably uh, diminished in comparison to a large house. But if that's where God's given you as the place of your residence, I'm telling you, you walk in that house, you anoint it with oil, you put a smile on your face, and you say, you know what, this is my, come on, this is my dominion, glory to God. And I'm going to live in this place, and I'm going to handle myself the way God expects me to. And I want to encourage you, you got to have the wisdom of God. You can't be the father you can't be the husband, you can't be the wife, you can't be the mother, you can't be the boss on the job, you can't be the school teacher, is that right? Without the wisdom that God desires to give us. So he's closing, there's just a few more verses. He gave it to the sea, his decree, that's the 29th verse, that the waters should not pass before. He said, I was with him, I rejoice in the habitable part of the earth. He said, hearken unto me, you as children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction, be wise, don't refuse it. Blessed is the man that heareth me, that watches daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. And the last verse, for whosoever findeth me finds life and obtains the favor of the Lord. Hallelujah today. Come on, church family, would y'all stand up with me? Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed. I got a twofold prayer for you today. Twofold prayer. I'm gonna pray with you here today. I feel I feel it in the name of Jesus. One, I'm gonna bring you forward in a moment. I know it's noon, and I'll let you right out of here. I won't take long. But number one, let me just say this real quickly, Pastor Brown. You preached to me about a kingdom, and yet there's the truth here: is that I'm still being reigned over by my carnal appetites. 
I haven't been washed in his blood. Pastor, you read about a passage about in order to be a king, I have to be washed in his blood. If you're here today, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I want to be a king in the kingdom God's given me. I want to be uh, uh, anointed uh, as a leader, a ruler in the kingdom, a, a queen, a prince, a princess, whatever the application, whatever the analogy, if it matters not, then you've got to go through. You've got to go through the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. You must put your faith in him. He washes you, and he makes you a king. You can't just say, well, I'm going to be a king. No, he washes you, and he sits you on his throne with him in heavenly places. If you're here today, you've not professed Christ as your Savior, and you've not repented of your sins, and you'd like to do so today, and you'd like for me to pray with you, I'll pray with you right where you're at. Quickly slip your hand up. I'll see that hand today, and I'll pray with you. If there's anyone today, church, would y'all pray with me? There may be someone that you just need to pray right now. Pray. Secondly today, I promise you don't, may not even know it, but that's what you want. That's what your soul is craving for. That's what your spirit is begging for, for you just to be more like Jesus. Let Jesus be Jesus in you. That's what will make you happy. You think more money? I mean, literally, is that the highest goal you can think of this year is to make a few more bucks? Nah. A few more houses, some more land, a few more assets. Those things are all fine in God's plan at times. But the real things that bring happiness are not things that you can buy. And so we make all these New Year's resolutions, and the truth is our New Year's resolutions are normally the first regrets of the new year for us. But it don't have to be that way. So it's plain and simple. Let go and grow. This is what we determined. Three things. We're going to grow in faith this year. What if you just did that? What if you said, I'm going to grow my faith this year? That's a goal. That's a resolution. 2018, I'm going to grow my faith. You say, well, but I've been through this or I've been through that, and my faith has been shaken. But you know, Adrian Rogers, the great Baptist preacher, said one time that a faith that hasn't been tested can't be trusted. Don't panic when your faith is tested. It's growing. If you won't back out, if you won't throw in the towel, if you won't run away... If you'll just hold on, faith is not the absence of doubt. It's the perseverance of commitment even when you're not sure. Grow in your faith. That's what Kath and I have decided. Of all the things we don't know, we know that our faith is going to be stronger this year. Number two, we're going to grow our commitment. Somebody say, grow your commitment. Make a decision that nobody can outcommit you. They might can outperform you, but they can't outcommit you. They may be better at it than you, but they can't outcommit you. So make a commit to serve, to get involved, to get up and get out there, to work hard, to volunteer, to make a difference. You can do that. And that's what we're doing. And then lastly, we're making a commitment to grow in our giving. Our time, our talent, our treasure. Did you know giving consistently makes the list of must-dos for the most successful people in the world? Believer or not. If you get into their papers, things that they've written about their experiences in life, for the most part, generally giving makes the list of the must-dos. So we're going to grow our giving this year. I'm not so sure that it's going to translate to more dollars and cents. Probably will. 
but we're just going to give generously and we're going to give till it hurts and we're going to give sacrificially and then we're going to give some more because I figured this out that when you give at that level it messes the devil's world up in your life it messes his world if you want to grow give because I figured this out there is a direct relationship to heaven's release in your life when you open up the valve and give it, it immediately releases heaven and God makes you bigger All right, it's 12 minutes after 12, and you've been very patient with me as I've coached you today through this process. How about today you make a fresh start? Okay, so let's just think about that. How about today you make a fresh start? How about we just, we just uh, delete all the stuff that happened last year or whatever year it happened? Why don't we just take a step forward and say, God, okay, I heard the preacher. I can do that. With your help, if I will tune into heaven and stay connected to the vine, I can handle that. I can do that. I may not have a doctorate in theology when the year's over, but I'm going to know more about the Bible. I'm going to know more about the Lord. I can do that. If you're here and you're in the room and you'd say, I can buy into that, let's just all bow our heads. I'm going to give you a private moment.